0: again on the Driving You Crazy podcast. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber.
1: I am pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. I'm also an advocate of sunglasses
0: and baseball
1: caps because the sun glare for the past two to three weeks in this city has been horrendous. You can't go anywhere without having to shield your eyes.
0: Yeah, it's been tough. In fact, the state patrol had to close down a portion of I-70 because of that. There is this angle of that road yep. that's coming up in the foothills there, that it's just, it's it's brutal.
1: Well, and there's nothing you can do about it. And they've actually, there have been studies performed within the last 12 months that show a 16% increase in the amount of life-threatening injuries when it's bright outside. The sun, <laughs> Jason, is a menace.
0: It is a menace. Maybe we should turn it off. Can we turn it off?
1: <laughs> I think they turn it out off for like 12 hours most nights.
0: Okay, well, that's good. At least we got that going for us, right? Amen. All right, here's a story perfect for you since you are wearing your New England Patriots hat uh, and for any New England Patriot fan, and I'm sorry that they lost the other night. I am okay with it.
1: It's in Miami. Miami always beats us. We can save that for the football podcast.
0: Okay, Okay. perfect. Uh, well, anyway, a physical education teacher there in Boston, he was tired of drivers speeding through the school zone, so he turned to New England Patriot quarterback Tom Brady for help. His name is Sam Balto, and he placed some laminated cutouts of Tom Brady's face on pedestrian crossing signs outside an elementary school hoping the pictures would get drivers to slow down, and he says it absolutely worked. He couldn't get Tom out there. (laughs) That's coming. Yes, the best he could do was get his face out there. Now, Sam says that he was super frustrated watching these drivers just speed through the 20-mile-an-hour zone for months. He actually used a speed radar monitor, and he posted the results on Twitter. He clocked drivers going anywhere between 30 and 56 miles an hour in a 20-mile-an-hour school zone. Well, I mean, it couldn't have been 20 miles an
1: hour at the time. Somebody was going 56, right? The, you would think that there would be enough traffic on that road to prevent anybody going from that No, fast. I
0: think he says it was happening during school time, and the crosswalk posts there were recently placed in the street near the school, but he said the drivers would then hit them and knock them over. But then he put Tom Brady's face on them. He says, whatever it takes, I would give him our Driving You Crazy Citizen Champion of the Week award if we had one. Really, it, it would just be a picture of a traffic cone with the caption, good job.
1: Can we have Chris make us one of those? Sure. Let's do it, man. And we
0: could send it to him.
1: Congratulations, Sam. I mean, this is something we've talked about in the past, though. That anything that makes the drive more complicated or more yes. visually interesting for a driver is going to make them slow down, and it'll have a slightly calming effect on traffic. This one just happens to have the greatest quarterback of all time <laughs> on some pedestrian crossing signs.
0: Arguably. Uh, no we... <laughs> arguing here <laughs> they did actually in my neighborhood put up one of those on the speed limit sign and there's been a lot of talk in my neighborhood recently about some of the speeding that's been going on so they put up one of those radar uh, so the speed limit sign is 35 and then right under it it's the radar thing that shows you what your speed is because just in the last couple of weeks a couple of deer were hit and killed in, in the neighborhood so what the neighbors on next door it, w- it was blowing up on next door and so some there there's now a I I guess group of people that are advocating to drive at the speed limit at all times and and even just if you don't if you have some time off if you can just go ru- drive up and down the road at the speed limit to slow everybody down. Even if you don't have to go anywhere just as you can just go ahead and go out there and and be a pace car and slow drivers down.
1: It <laughs> So they're encouraging people to literally when they just when they have some downtime, yes. to go drive the speed limit. Yes, if you could get paid for that,
0: well, that's what I advocate for, for the cops to do on I twenty five. Just drive the speed limit. You don't have to pull anybody over. That's true. Just do that. You know,
1: I'm a big fan.
0: Well, we're not strangers to told lanes here that charge uh, uh, you know a price to to drive on them, and also change in price depending on the congestion. Well, they just started a new program near Washington, D.C. on Interstate 66 where they charge single drivers to use a toll to use their existing HOV lanes. So the highest price on our toll lane uh, on the north side of town, it's, it's 7 bucks, And that's without their little extra transponder thing. You know, it's just the license plate toll. So that's, that's basically the highest that section will be. Okay. Get this. The advertised price during the most congested time on I-66 at that toll lane near D.C. at 8.06 a.m., it was last week, it was $40. $40. Now, the fees can be set in schedules with the highest rate for the busiest time of day, or tolls can be left uncapped to fluctuate with changing traffic. Now, some drivers were incredibly upset, as you can imagine, with that $40 price tag. I mean deservedly so. And and the signs there along the corridor show the current price of the tolls. They're updated every 6 minutes. They range from 450 for the entire corridor to a peak last Monday of $34.50 and then they peaked at $40 last Tuesday. But state officials says they're still sorting out whether anyone actually paid that highest level. As they're reviewing the bills, because once you see the price, that, that the price you see when you get in is the price you pay. Right. So if you're in it at, let's say, 12 bucks and the price goes up to $20, you are still paying the $12, you are not paying the higher rate.
1: But if nobody's, if nobody's paying the $40 to use the toll lane, then that defeats the purpose of having the extra lane altogether, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be there to cut down on traffic, but you're, if they literally have to run the data to see if anybody used this $40 toll lane, that means it's, what, like five, six drivers at a time when there's 2,000-plus drivers on the road? Right. Ridiculous.
0: I know. It is completely ridiculous. I think they have their their pricing wrong. They should actually bring the prices down when there's more congestion on the road to encourage more drivers to get into that lane, pay the toll. You're easing up the traffic on the free lanes. You're actually getting more of that traffic into the pay lanes and... Because of you know market economics, you have more people driving at that lower price. You're going to have more money. You, there's a certain pricing level yep. that 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 is a sweet spot, and so I think if they lowered the price, you'd get more drivers in there and you get more money.
1: Well, and it, I think it depends on what your goal is. I mean, are they trying to turn the biggest profit possible or what? I do find it hard to believe that a forty dollar to- toll lane is going to show you any significant gain compared to a $30 toll lane or a twenty dollar toll lane. I think it would be really interesting to see the algorithm that goes into this thing to set the price point at forty dollars at any given time. But I mean to your point, what's their goal? Are they yeah. trying to get
0: are they trying to ease traffic or are they trying to turn a profit on this lane? And then there's this editorial speaking about toll lanes from the Aurora Sentinel advocating for Colorado to go all toll lanes on all the major highways, not just the new lanes Not just the new roads, but all the current lanes right now. I did some of the editing to this editorial, but it reads in part, like it or not, we're stuck. Every reliable study shows that the state has mounting transportation needs and woes, and more people will continue to pour into the state. At the same time, state legislators are deadlocked over finding serious money to fix the state's serious problems. The time for more toll roads in Colorado has arrived. And we could say this probably for most of the states in the country. Year after year, state lawmakers argue over where money might come from, but they do little other than leave residents sitting in traffic, motoring on third-world roads and shaking their heads. I don't think we really have third-world roads. That does seem like a stretch. We have this thing called pavement that most third-world countries (laughs) don't have. All right, the editorial continues. Spending every dime uh, the state collects on roads wouldn't solve every statewide transportation problem. Mass transit plays a critical role in the puzzle. But effective, realistic mass transit and safe, functioning roads don't preclude each other. Colorado has neither right now. Well, I don't know. The transit's not horrible, but the roads are in bad shape, and we could use some improvements. But,
1: I, I would argue the transit is pretty horrible, but go on. All right.
0: All right. How,
1: how horrible is it? I just think they don't have do a very good job of solving the first mile, last mile problem. And I think that the times are pretty erratic. I mean, if you need to be somewhere at 530 sharp, you can't count on the buses here to be there to get you there within eight minutes of your goal. Even if you go outside the moment like five minutes early, right? Because the buses, at least in the downtown area are pretty consistently two to five minutes behind schedule the light rail system is great and it's beautiful and it takes you on a lot of really scenic stretches of denver that you wouldn't see otherwise the problem is that the first mile and last mile to the light rail stations is really difficult especially in a lot of the suburbs where people would be more inclined to use mass transit because they have to go further but you can't get to the station without a really either driving to it which defeats the purpose or walking two three four miles that's not worth it either
0: So the editorial continues, it's time to set up toll booths on strategic parts of Colorado's interstate to raise the money to at least fix and expand them without devouring what relatively few transportation dollars exist in the state. It won't be easy. Currently, federal law prohibits states from imposing tolls on existing interstate lanes, but the Trump administration wants to lift those restrictions. Tolling makes sense because it raises cash dedicated to the cause, and those who pay are benefiting from the improvements, when they fork it over and roll on, the trick to success and fairness is to keep tolls cheap enough to be reasonable and high enough to raise the cash needed to build more lanes and better roads. It's just like we were saying with that other toll road in, in uh, near Washington D.C. How high is too high? Well, you know, maybe forty bucks is too high. What's reasonable? That's set in the last. How about starting the discussion at a buck or less? That's reasonable, I guess. Yeah, even if you're using it every day, that's affordable. Now, given current road counts, here's an estimate of what the state could raise from strategic points. US 36, the Boulder Toll Road from Denver to Boulder, 82,000 cars a day, raising about $30 million a year in dollar tolls. Denver to Colorado Springs, I 25, 70,000 cars a day, grossing about $26 million a year. Denver to Fort Collins, About 80,000 cars, another 30 million. Denver uh, to the ski country, along I-70 to the west, about 45,000 cars a day. I think it's higher on the weekends, but about $16 million a year. And there are many more opportunities between Grand Junction and Aspen or Denver I-70 East and then I-25 between New Mexico and Denver. Inside the Denver-Aurora metro area, the separate small tax on the region's nearly 2 million registered cars, possibly $2 a month, could raise an additional $48 million a year to help pay for desperately needed improvements and maintenance in the Metroplex. Additional money could and should be raised by imposing extra fees on commercial transportation vehicles such as semi-tractor trailers and tourism cars. An increase in gas taxes accompanied by rebates for Colorado residents could raise millions more for state transportation needs. It's unfair and unwise to allow for profit businesses and an increasing number of tourists enjoying the hard work of Colorado residents because we don't have an effective mechanism to have them pay their part. You know, there was an interesting debate this week about the mileage tax versus the gas tax. And the idea of a
1: gas tax with a rebate for Colorado residents, to me, has quite a bit of appeal. I mean, I don't know how much of a rebate you're talking at the end of the year, but uh, it's a good way to maximize the gas tax without having its, you know... a devastating impact on Colorado residents.
0: It's like Alaska where they actually get a rebate money every year for the oil and gas drilling that they're doing and pulling out of the state every year.
1: Exactly. And I don't I mean, you know, if we're if we're going to have such I mean, this is a pretty anti-car editorial. Right, oh, the, the entire goal of everything here is to funnel people into bikes and buses and walking places. And so if we're going to go that direction, let's go all out. You know what I mean? Like Up the gas tax significantly. There's nothing wrong with Colorado paying the highest gas prices in the nation if it's going to improve our roads in the long run.
0: I think it's also an editorial about... The state legislators won't do anything. They will always stall any tax increase on the gas tax. And so maybe this is the way to go ahead and for the people just to go ahead and say, we need some money for our roads. We want money for our roads. And this is the way we're going to do it.
1: Yes. We've reached the throwing out crazy proposals, hoping somebody pays attention portion of this debate. I just think the lawmakers are bad at math. They just (laughs) can't make the money work.
0: The Sentinel uh, continues, the alternate... The alternative to funding road improvement with tolls or some other hike in taxes or fees is what you struggle with every day on your commutes. Nobody wants to pay highway tolls, but reasonable Colorado residents want to make sure we can all get to critical destinations safely and without giving up the quality of life and, and environment that has been the hallmark of this state long before many in the state legislature moved here and are now trying to erode it. I guess I'm not ready for all the toll roads just yet, though. Joseph, I'm not. Maybe because I drive mostly during off-peak hours, but when I, let's say, have to be downtown for an event, I, I just I just have to plan on it taking me an hour. I'm probably not ready to take my kids and everybody and jump on the light rail and try to, let's say, go to a, a show at Pepsi Center just yet. Nope. But I, I build that commute time in my plans. and it, it, Now, if it started to get more than an hour, let's say an hour and a half, two, I mean, if it started really cranking up like gas Prices crank up over $4, then, then people start adjusting their behaviors.
1: Right. Well, and I, I mean, you know, if taking a family on the light rail is hard. That's so many bodies to corral. Yeah. And especially when your kids are little, I, I wouldn't want to have to deal with that. Uh, so for young families, I just can't imagine a scenario where you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to ditch this car and jump on the bus. <laughs> Bring it on.
0: Now, I know a lot of families that use the light rail to go to sporting events they're going to the broncos the rockies whatever they're they're now more increasingly taking it out to the airport because they don't want to deal with the parking out there and it's about the same price to park your car out there as it is to take the uh the light rail system out that way and it's becoming more reliable the a-line is becoming more reliable every day um you're
1: referring to like parking at the nearest light rail station and, and, then, and then taking it into right. the Pepsi Center. I mean, I could definitely see why that would be more appealing than trying to deal with Pepsi Center traffic on an avalanche night.
0: Yeah, or par- or especially Coors Field because they don't have a whole lot of parking that's not 50 bucks right there around the stadium. So
1: And good work Rockies maximizing that space to get the most out of people who are just trying to park their cars. I
0: know, and you know, they just blowing up one of their uh, VIP parking lots there right across the stadium so they can build a new, you know structure with what resident and and uh now was it you and I
1: I'm not trying to blow up the Rockies spot because I love the Rockies my, my second favorite baseball team behind the Sox but did they not turn down a light rail stop right outside of Coors Field
0: I don't recall that I don't think they did or that was an offer okay um but the I know Park Meadows didn't want the bridge originally when the light rail went down to the south side of town because they don't call themselves a mall they call themselves a retail resort. Oh. So it's this big mall on the south side of Metro Denver. And so the light rail stops there. However, they never wanted a bridge to go from that light rail stop over to the mall. Okay. Now just in the last few years they built one um, because they understand, oh wait, people want to come shop here and don't want to have maybe that's a good idea. To put a bridge so those people that get on the rail can shop here and spend their money here and then they go away. What was really fun
1: was before the bridge when all those people were trying to cross six lanes of traffic <laughs> to get to the mall.
0: Yes, much like Frogger, Interstate Frogger. That's exactly it's That's my it was. favorite
1: part of riding the rail system is crossing <laughs> eight lanes of traffic.
0: Yes, so you know the tolls. It's an interesting idea, but there's there's going to be a there's going to be a breaking point eventually, and and there's going to be more money needed because uh, right now construction costs are a lot of money, and there's a lot of needs in the state and all the states around the uh, around the country and. And there's only so much money to go around.
1: My new pet theory is that they're just waiting for the Trump administration to uh, announce that they're going to dedicate federal funds to infrastructure, and then we're just going to jump on that bandwagon and hope that pays for the lion's share of it.
0: Yeah, maybe if you know, well, if anything, it comes out of the Trump administration. <laughs> I mean, the way Washington is so dysfunctional right now, it doesn't true. seem like anything's going to happen. There's
1: Democrats winning in Georgia, in Alabama, Jason. Yeah,
0: that's like <laughs> <laughs> you know, cats and dogs living together. The whole thing. <laughs> All right, coming up, when you see flashing lights from an emergency vehicle coming towards you, and let's say you're on a precarious spot on the road where it might not be the easiest for you to pull over and let them pass, or you're in a real narrow road or something, what do you do? We'll talk about that much, much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. I'm Lisa Hidalgo, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber.
1: We just have a lot of content, a lot of stuff to offer to the viewers in the morning. I think my favorite part would be weather. I mean, I'm a, I am ai love weather as it is, um, but I just think the weather, you know, is probably going to be my favorite part, What's going to be like. And, of course, you know, when we go out there and uh, gather our interviews and stuff, I always watch the weather to see if I need to bring rain gear, snow gear, what have you. Mike Iliopoulos, only on Denver 7. Weekend mornings are personally my favorite time. Eric Lufer and I have the most fun that we possibly can, but also we get to bring you the news of the day, the weather, sports, and there's a pet segment, so we have a good time. It's a nice way to wake up and just kind of get your news of the day for the weekend. Katie LaSalle, only on Denver 7. It's that time of the year to spread the germs and the cheer. I gave you my cold for Christmas. All I gotta do is cough and sneeze, and then you'll get my disease. I'll give you my cold for Christmas. Must have picked it up
0: from the bus, some jerk with bronchitis. Cause I'm sniffly, oh so sniffly. Welcome back to the Driving You Crazy podcast where we have more holiday spirit than anyone on the 7th floor of this building. Yeah. We don't have a 7th floor of this building. (laughs) It's too bad for the people who work there. (laughs) This is the perfect song right here to play because my entire house and many people here at work have been sick. They've been very, very sick. Katie was complaining about being sick. Nicole was sick last week. My kids were sick last week. I mean, everybody's been. Everybody around me has been sick.
1: We're next.
0: No, I, I, I honestly, God, every about three bond. minutes, I am, I am and sanitizing. I'm getting the Purell and sauce. I'm, I'm right, hosing myself down. I, I don't know if it's good to put it in your nose, but I have been <laughs> putting it on my face no, over the makeup, no, the whole thing. Just
1: snorting Purell. Away we go.
0: Exactly. If you want to hear more of this uh, kind of silly song, the info is in the notes section on the podcast. I picked out another good one for next week as well, since it is still the that'll be the last show of the uh, of the holiday season mm-hmm. of the year, in fact. Yes, sir. You have to wait till then to listen, though.
1: By the way, if, remember to re- leave us a review on iTunes. We are eagerly awaiting more of those five star reviews. You can also follow me, Joseph Denver Seven. You can follow him, Denver Seven Traffic, on Twitter.
0: We remembered early this year. I got you, man. Time. There you go. All right. So this time, uh, uh, this this time of year that we talk reindeer, right? Usually, that's you don't you never talk reindeer any other time of the year except around uh, uh, December, right? It's true. Uh, there's an artificial intelligence camera company in Boulder that has created a smart camera system that is apparently capable of detecting herds of reindeer as they approach train tracks. It, this is not a big problem here. Okay. But apparently, it's a big problem in Norway. Norway. All those deer getting in the way of them trains. They call it the reindeer cam. Well, it can, well, you know, creative name there. It can uh, warn train operators to slow down when reindeer are on the tracks, and that can eliminate the needless slaughter of countless reindeer. There was recently a series of high-profile reindeer killings in Norway where herds of reindeer in remote areas have been struck by trains. In all, there have been eight train incidents that killed more than one hundred reindeer in the past few weeks. What's Santa going to do? That's on average, what, like nine Rudolphs and 91 other reindeer? <laughs> the Reindeer Cam is a network of cameras that can monitor vast stretches of train tracks and remote wilderness, day or night. Each camera has a learning algorithm that can recognize the reindeer, and when one is detected near the tracks, it sends out an alert within one-tenth of a second. The system is powered by using solar cells paired with battery storage. And the communication between the system and the train operator can be completed via either satellite modem or cellular modem. This, I guess, could be a great system on other rail lines, right, where there's animals or people who frequently cross cross the tracks?
1: I mean, I think that would be the ultimate goal, right, is to use it for people in large cities as opposed to
0: just herds of reindeer in the middle of the Norwegian wilderness. Like in India, where you see those trains that are overloaded with people. I know of a reindeer cam but when you when you search it, it's a live stream of of the reindeer farm, uh, uh for Santa, it's okay. Santa's original reindeer live feed. Not nice. That's, so when you search reindeer cam, that's what you're going to come up with. Is it in the North Pole? Uh, it's close. Okay. Somewhere up that way. But every time I look at it, not much is going on. Just a large corral with maybe a reindeer or two. Okay. Something like that.
1: This is a much much more depressing story, but. My Las Vegas Twitter feed blew up today because the Steamy Weenie is now offering reindeer dogs on their menu.
0: The Steamy Weenie? Is that what you said?
1: Yes. I'm just trying to get the... the... A hot dog chain in Las Vegas offering reindeer dogs now. Biker Jim's here in Denver's been doing this for a while. Reindeer dogs. Have you you had... Yeah, I mean, it doesn't taste much different from a regular hot dog. It's the same seasonings and everything. I would imagine so. You just know that it's Rudolph.
0: Or a distant cousin of some sort. (laughs) I wouldn't think it would taste much different than than what? Than chicken. Everything tastes like chicken. Yeah, there you go. Frog legs. When you see flashing lights behind you or hear a siren nearby, it can be easy to panic. Then when you see the emergency vehicle and you see it trying to get through traffic, what do you do? Most of the time you just slow down and you pull over to the right just to let it go by. But what if you need to, uh, let's say, break a driving law to get out of the way? Is that Okay. Is, is it okay to go through a red light or cross into a bus lane or or make an illegal turn of some sort? What are what are the rules of the road when it comes to letting emergency vehicles pass by? Well, I had to deal with that exact same scenario. And one time when I was running, waiting in a red light, I see this fire truck racing up from behind me. And, and I decided instead of running the red light just to make the right turn onto a street that I didn't really want to turn on to get out of the way, I made that choice because turning on red, well, I guess it's not really illegal uh, but it's less illegal than going through the red light. Correct. Right? So I was I was delayed on my trip, but the fire truck was able to get by. But as far as the law, there are sections of the Colorado Revised Statute that speaks to the requirements when a motorist observes the immediate approach of an emergency vehicle. But nothing that I read in the law provides any guidance for this specific question. So I talked to um, Rob Madden. He's a sergeant over the Colorado State Patrol. And he tells me that all the drivers should know that pulling to the right and stopping is the best and most expected action. Wait, everybody knows that, though. Right.
1: You pull over, you get out of the, like, okay, go on.
0: All right, so he said emergency vehicle operators are consistently taking account for the motorist around them. I think this was his point, is that they expect you to do a certain thing, and Mm -hmm. when you do something that's away from that, it freaks them out a little bit and causes them to slow down or maybe adjust their path and and then you could see trouble. Okay. He continues. He says, We ask that the motoring public drive with safety in mind and if they see an emergency vehicle approaching, they remain calm and formulate a plan. <laughs> formulate a plan. <laughs> like I'll know where they going, All right, let me think about how am I gonna do this and that. No, you just you, you just react. You're not right. formulating a plan. Steering or stopping your vehicle without first verifying it that can be done uh, done with safety is the largest danger the motorists face. A crash caused by the sudden movement may result in a citation. That's what he was saying. So basically, don't pull out in front of the – don't do something stupid, and and you should be fine. Okay. I also posed the question to the Denver Police Department, and Doug Shepman with the DPD first directed me to Denver's municipal code that, again, doesn't really specifically answer this question – But he added, while the ordinance provides no specific permissions to violate other laws to move from the way of the approaching vehicle, it would be reasonable to move through a solid red light or make an otherwise illegal lane change to make way for the emergency vehicle. However, that movement must be made without creating a hazard for other traffic present. So I think he went a little bit farther and said, sure, I I don't think you're going to get a ticket for doing a legal thing. However, just do it safely to get out of the way.
1: Okay. So what I'm hearing is use common sense. And if you get into a crash, we're going to ticket you.
0: Exactly. Fantastic. In most driver's handbooks, it'll say you should yield to all oncoming emergency vehicles. And where possible, you must pull over to the right side of the road. Uh, you know, in the Colorado handbook, it said if you're at an intersection, you drive through the intersection before you pull over. That makes it sound like you can maybe go through a red light, right? But it doesn't specifically say you can't go through a red light. Correct. Um, So, again, really no guidance to answer the specific question. So I posed the question to South Metro Fire because I'm thinking, all right, so we're talking fire trucks here. Let's go to the fire people and the fire uh, engine uh, operators and uh, the engineers and see what what they say about it. So one of the engineers who drives a fire engine at the Den in the Denver Tech Center says, one of the biggest differences between fire engines and police cars is that the fire engines are equipped with these opticoms. It's a it, the opticom light, it transmits the signal from the fire engine to the street light. You've probably seen them on the street lights. They look like I I, I guess they look like a little tube, if you will, that's sitting on top of the streetlight. Mm-hmm. And what they do is it will turn when it sees the flashing light from the uh, from this opticon thing. It'll actually turn the signals green in the direction the fire truck is going.
1: This is dangerous technology. I just want to throw that out there. I mean, and I say that because we in the past I've been caught trying to cross Colfax and I'm crossing against a green, a fire truck comes through, hits the opticon, my light goes red immediately. Yeah. So I'm on a walk signal. It immediately goes to a don't walk signal when I'm two out of six lanes of traffic across. Meantime, fire truck is speeding through because now they have a green light. I mean, this stuff, it's great for the firefighters, and I'm glad that it speeds us up getting from point A to point B, but there is a little bit of collateral impact that I don't think firefighters are always take into account.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. Cause I, and if you had somebody that wasn't as swift as foot as you are... That's correct. Uh, ...you might have even more of a problem.
1: Fastest feet in the West.
0: Because there is a fire station over there on Spear...
1: Spear and Colfax, I think. Well, there's
0: one there, and there's also one down by Pepsi Center, like Spear and Arariac right? Oh, yes. Where yep. you have, what, eight lanes of Spear to get across?
1: That's the one that we just did a story two or right. three weeks ago about how they keep those lights red or green longer because it takes so long to get from uh, uh, one side of the street to the other.
0: Right, exactly. So the engineer says uh, there will be times that drivers will need to move out of the way And they offer these techniques to remember. One, pull to the right and stop. Do not roll slowly. The emergency unit may need to make a right turn. If the vehicle creeps along at a slow speed, it could cause a crash. Number two, don't block access to other streets and parking lots whenever possible. Our crews have seen cars stop and block their ability to turn right or left. Number three, don't be scared. Try to help the situation by assessing the safest way to pull over and stop. And number four, never put yourself in danger. Basically, do what you can safely to get out of the way. That's, that seems like what be saying there. Now, Adams County Sheriff Michael McIntosh, he tells me that drivers sometimes need some specific direction how and where to move out of the way. He says there are times we need to use our PA system in the car, something I wish I had in my car, he says, we'll specifically direct drivers with that loudspeaker to move in a specific way so we can get through. And Sheriff McIntosh told me that using an excuse like saying you saw the flashing lights coming three blocks back and thought you could just run that red light to get out of the way probably wouldn't get you out of a ticket.
1: Uh, on the flip side of that, if the PA is yelling at me and there are emergency lights behind me, I'm going to feel very embarrassed, I think would be the word.
0: Yeah. Now, Advice Online says that you should not break the law to make way for police, fire, and ambulance vehicles. This includes entering bus lanes or running red lights. They also say, at least online, you shouldn't try to speed or outrun the emergency vehicle and allow the emergency vehicle to overtake you when there is space to do so, and it is safe. It's also not a good idea, then, as they pass, to then floor it and (laughs) follow them so you have free, clear traffic all the way to wherever you're going. Now, if you're in a one-way street or a road where, the, uh, let's say, uh, the other lane is blocked, you should continue at a reasonable speed as the emergency vehicle follows until you can pull over. Of course, many drivers will be willing to break the rules in order to let emergency vehicles pass more quickly uh, and, and make its way to the incident. But it is worth noting, I think, that you're still probably liable for any bad thing that happens because of it. You know, I think that's what the bottom line is here. So get out of the way safely, but if you do something stupid... You're going to be busted.
1: The golden rule of the road. Don't do anything stupid.
0: (laughs) Isn't that the rule of life, though? I think so. You know, just, yeah. Don't do stupid, and you'll be fine. There you go. Sometimes all the sirens and flashing lights in the world, though, isn't enough to get drivers to pull over. And that was one of the um, things I was hearing from some uh, some of these folks when I was talking to them for this story. And emergency personnel across the country say distracted driving now is a growing problem for them as they try to get through traffic because they can see as they're in an elevated position, especially for the fire trucks, Mm -hmm. what's going on and what people are doing. And they say the most common offense, they say, is obviously texting, eating, putting on makeup, and messing with the touchscreen display on their car or their GPS. What I see most often is picking of the nose. (laughs) That's what I see most often. You
1: You must not be looking for the texters out
0: there. I'm not really looking for the texters, but I do see the picking of the nose. Um, another problem from them is newer cars are becoming more soundproof. So if you're playing your music pretty loud, then you might not hear their emergency sirens and you and, and some people I've seen them too with the earbuds in their ears.
1: Nobody should be having earbuds in behind the wheel. That's the, the one of the most irresponsible things I think you can do. But it is always fun when you're driving and you're pulled over for the emergency vehicle, but some uh jackball, I think is the word we use on this podcast, yes. Uh, is not pulling over for the emergency vehicle, and so the fire truck lays on the horn three times to make sure that that person knows get out of the way.
0: <laughs> I love that. I lo- I wish I could have one of those horns <laughs> you and in me my both, car. Man. So troopers say they often see distracted drivers while responding to calls, but usually they can't stop to pull them over because they are on their way to something that is more serious. And distracted drivers can also put for- first responders in danger when they're at the scene of an emergency, is what they said. They often, uh, people try to take pictures or video of the scene, and that's one of the problems because that takes their eyes off the road. And they say uh, the unfortunate problem is the chance of a secondary collision increases uh, by 50% when other drivers are distracted. So to help ensure that the first responders aren't hurt while responding to an accident, some of the fire departments are now sending two fire engines to the scene. One of them for the firefighters to, to use to do whatever they're doing to do. And the other to block the, the people to make sure they're safe. And you remember that whole series was the last year or two where we had so many of these uh, police officers that were being targeted for shootings, right? Mm-hmm. And then they would start routinely sending out two cars. Um, For a while, even the Denver Police Department had two car patrols going out, and so if they pulled somebody over, they'd have a second car there as well, and they'd always have backup report to all of these incidents.
1: Well, the technique of having a secondary truck that blocks off the road is something that's being used in a lot more situations now as well. You'll remember at the end of last year, there were a couple of terror attacks that involved people driving trucks into crowded areas, and what police departments in Europe and fire departments in Europe have started to do is either bring in a semi or bring in one of the larger fire trucks or something Thing to block off streets and also serve as a barrier so you can't just drive a truck into one of those markets and barrel
0: through them and obviously that isn't good for traffic
1: no not at all. because
0: they tend to block lanes longer and uh more often and that obviously screws up the whole traffic situation because i've seen that a ton of times where you'll have the the fire engine operator he's he's He'll cover. He'll block extra lanes that they don't really need to block. I mean, there, there has to be – we've talked about the balance that needs to be there. Yep. But now they, they basically have – they think they have full autonomy to block as much as they want to block.
1: Well, and I think – I mean, this is something I would like to see done at Coors Field. Like, block it off. After the game, don't let drivers anywhere near that intersection where hundreds of people are crossing at
0: any given time. I know. Could you imagine that? Because I I have thought about that as well. Right there at the corner of 20th and Blake, right by home plate. Right outside of home plate. Right after, let's say, an exciting game. Everybody is letting out at the exact same time right there. And there are literally hundreds and hundreds of people right there on the road, crossing the street. And you could have somebody with ill intentions come in through there with a truck or whatever, and take out hundreds of people. Yep. Easily. And then, God forbid, it explodes.
1: Well, and, but, and that's just it. That's one of the only places in this town where there's consistently a crowd of hundreds in one place that's that close to a road where something bad could happen in an instant.
0: Yeah, so I, I don't know if there's any good way. And maybe Denver police has thought about the potential— of that, It might be worth a call to them to ask them if, if they've had that as a mindset. Maybe it would be better for the start of rocky season, maybe yep. closer to uh, March or April to see what, what they would say if we give them a call and say, have you thought about that possibility and, and what are you going to do about it? Because usually there's just one or two officers just in the intersection stopping traffic from – uh, you know hitting these people and, and making sure they stop so the so, so everybody's crossing the walking across the street
1: and maybe they think that's enough I mean maybe they've they've considered the balance and that's what they've decided to go with is that it's fine the way that it is we don't need to add extra protections it's worked so far
0: yeah and speak you know speaking of all this have you seen that show on Netflix that's called shot in the dark it's uh on the list it, uh, it's so I've been watching the – I watched the first, uh, I don't know, six episodes. It's a show uh, about several of these companies. So in Los Angeles, they have these these companies uh, that shoot video of news events. So these folks, they're called stringers, and they go out like if they were a news crew, uh, employed like we have for the TV station, photographers that would go out and shoot a news event, a rollover, a building fire, or whatever. And then, But these guys do it privately, and they're out there with the scanners in their car, and they go out and they, and they shoot this stuff and they put it, they edit, do some edits, and then they upload it to their, um, to the TV stations or to their FTP site. And then, they to, and then the TV stations can look at it and say, all right, I want to buy this one, buy that one. And they're all charged money for it. Um, uh, there's really strong competition there and there's plenty of money. It's, it's pretty interesting the way they're making those videos. And it's a pretty dangerous job for those folks too.
1: Absolutely.
0: Because um, really they're, they're allowed to walk into crime scenes. They're allowed to walk right next to fires. Now, in California, I know, because I, I have a good friend of mine who works for ABC Radio. And and so at fire lines, like here, they'll keep you back. There there, there's, there, there were lawsuits in the past. And so they can go right to the fire, right across the fire lines. It doesn't There's no restriction on the press to go anywhere there is a fire.
1: That's fascinating. I mean, that job to me was a dream job for a long time. It feels like you're... Out on the road, you're a maverick going yeah. from crime scene to exactly. crime scene. Exactly. It's exactly what you are. Digging into what happened, what really happened,
0: finding the true story. I I find the whole thing very, very interesting. And it's an interesting uh, a, um, dichotomy between the way they work and the way the TV stations work and actually the way they work with each other because one guy is is packaging his, his stories, is what they call them, uh, so let's say he, sh- he, he goes out there and he gets video of, of a rollover crash and a water main break and a whatever. So he'll package those three as one for one price, while another one of these stringer companies is trying to sell all three individually. Mm. Well, which is you're a TV station. What are you going to do? You're going to buy it from the one that's a package deal because it's less money for you. Yeah. Um, and so it's hurting some of those. And I'm surprised we haven't seen some of that here yet.
1: I think it's coming. I think the problem is that the television stations already have their guys, right? They're all already married to their own personal stringers. And so there's not much competition out there for the freelance stuff. But I do think that there's a niche available if somebody with the knowledge was willing to really go after it. Yeah. I mean I, I mean to a hundred to 200 dollars for a piece of video every night is I mean that's a hard life.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. but if you're doing more than that, and, and there's a lot more news happening in LA just because it's so large, but it's large enough for these, this one company to to hire uh, you know a, a dozen people.
1: Well, and one good tip can sustain you for an extended period of time. I, I, I had a friend who broke a very prominent story to TMZ and was paid very handsomely as a result of it. Right. I mean it only takes one to to pay all of your bills for 3 months.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Well anyway, you know check it out. It's called uh, Shot in the Dark on Netflix. There you have it. There you have it. There you have it. It's uh that's another solid podcast right there. Number 54 in the books.
1: Knocked it out of the park.
0: There you go. and, and again, you can always reach out to us uh, not with your arms, but uh, with your phone. Uh, Denver Seven Traffic is my handle.
1: I'm Joseph Denver Seven,
0: and we have phone numbers, but we really don't care to give them out. Exactly. Um, <laughs> actually, got a couple. Of, uh, so uh, if somebody calls my 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 voicemail at work, I get a, a email notification, and then the recording. And it's always just somebody hanging up because my voicemail at work, the the, uh, the recording, is I check this maybe once or twice a year. So <laughs> if you want to leave a message here, I'll get it in six months or eight months, whatever, and I'll call you back then. But if you want to reach me, then send me an email. Because honesty is the best policy. It is, and that's exactly my policy. There you go. So that's it for this uh, episode. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luper, the traffic guy.
1: I'm sunglasses and baseball cap advocate,
0: Joseph Peters. <laughs> Be safe. And as always, happy boat. I'm